Welcome back to Building the Bach, and I'm your host, Jason Spies. In our weekly one-on-one segment, we talk with John Cooper. Cooper is a renowned expert in fish and wildlife. He served with the Law Enforcement Division of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and was senior resident agent for North Dakota, South Dakota, and Nebraska. Cooper also served as Cabinet Secretary of the South Dakota Department Game, Fish, and Parks for 12 years. Cooper, a South Dakota resident, is also the 2010 recipient of the Bird Grinnell Memorial Award for Distinguished Lifetime Conservation from the Wildlife Management Institute. This is John Cooper. John Cooper, and a um, former secretary for South Dakota's Department of Game, Fish, and Parks, and uh, I currently serve on the Game, Fish, and Parks Commission for uh, Governor Dugard. But I'm here today uh, primarily just to uh, talk about the issues that we have worked on through a series of coalition events, and I was asked to come up and talk about some of my experiences in working on things like gold mines and, and, and oil issues and uh, timbering uh, and how it impacts wildlife. Um, have you, are you familiar with the oil boom happening out there? Yes, very familiar. I was stationed in Minot, uh, North Dakota as a special agent with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service from 1973 to 1978 before I moved down to Pier. So all those areas that the Bakken is involved in, kind of near and dear to my heart. I used to spend a lot of time with landowner friends out in Montreal County and spent a lot of time out in that Crosby area and Ross and a lot of those, and Tioga, a lot of those places that... uh, uh, were, um, for me, a California kid coming to the Dakotas, I thought were they were treasured resources, and still are treasured resources, but much different now. What are your observations in terms of uh, impact on wildlife with this current oil boom? Well, it's, you know, I think, I think it, first of all, I think it's significant, primarily just because of the, the density, the footprint of what it takes to to uh, to develop oil and to get it transported to a place where it can be can can be uh, uh, financially feasible for the companies to get their money out of. So, if you take into consideration the road systems, the transportation systems, and you take into consideration uh, the well drilling activities and the sites, and the fact that currently they're transporting oil uh, primarily by truck. Um, it's a, it's a significant amount of impact. If you think about it, I, most wildlife managers, uh, that's been my profession for these 40 years, are always concerned about displacement of wildlife resources. In this case, mule deer uh, and grouse are probably the two things that are on sportsmen's mind. But there's other grassland species out there that certainly uh, have been displaced. The other thing, which I'm not quite sure about, which I, I talked a little bit about today uh, to the group earlier, uh, was the impacts on recruitment. Uh, we don't know for sure uh, all this pressure and pushing deer as an example. I'll just use deer as an example. We don't know uh, to what degree the recruitment of those, of those deer back into the population. How many fawns are being had? How much uh, impact is, uh, is the human uh, activity out there? Uh, resulted in, say, abortion or miscarriage or what have you. And so the bottom line of this whole thing is uh, is a lot of the surveys that need to be done currently to take a look at what and measure what's going on versus what was there be- to begin with without the oil boom. Any uh, um, long-term 
uh, impact that you ta- that you keep an eye on? And I, I say that because in the financial world, you have all kinds of long-term projections. Right. How about in the wildlife? I, and I'm thinking of uh, uh, shells on some uh, egg-laying birds, for example. I know that was a problem with some power plants in, in the past. And right. the taconite mines in Minnesota up on the Iron Range produced some issues with the, with the chemicals used up there. Right. Uh, I, I don't know uh, with the mining in South Dakota, but any, anything along those lines, long-term projections of wildlife? There is, and there's a couple things that are on the horizon that we're not quite sure about as an example. Let's just take, for instance, the use of water for fracking and for uh, outflows and return flows. If they, if they can't handle all of the fracking uh, solutions uh, by putting it down to boreholes and, and getting it injected, the issue starts to become on, well, where would they put it? Would, would, they, would they dump it into some open land pits area? That, uh, any time that you have an a extraction industry, like, say, I'll just use mining. I'm very familiar with the gold mining issues in South Dakota. It's one thing to have heavy metals distributed throughout a mountaintop and over the course of a mountain range. But when your pickups or your trucks go in and pick all that up, take it over to the milling process, break it up, and then use heap leach, uh, cyanide, or arsenic-type process to extract the gold. Well, after that, after that rock has done its business, they pick it up and take it over and put it into some kind of a gulch, and, 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 and they keep adding to it and adding to it. So then we scratch our head as a, as a, as a public resource and want to know why we're having such trouble with acid mine leaching and some of the concerns with heavy metal contamination. So you got a bunch of cadmium all in one area, nickel in mm-hmm. one area. So that's a, that's a concern. The other issue that we are looking at is the Corps of Engineers recently had made some mention in regards to their public meetings about whether or not there would be excess water in the Missouri River to be sold or leased or paid for by uh, by industrial organizations. Well, one of the big concerns for anybody who's a fisherman or who's water resource oriented is what does what would that mean? Does that mean that uh, some way, somehow, if the current use of water in the Bakken formation isn't enough, would the oil companies then go to get to their 40,000 or some wells? I'm not sure exactly what the total number of wells, but that was projected, I think, at one point. Would they need Missouri River water to utilize that? And if so, what would be the issues environmentally with transporting water to certain well sites to be used uh, for fracking? What do you do with that? Do you put that down the, the sinkhole, or do you also have an issue of runoff, some type of a runoff? And so... Those are the concerns. You know, I think oil exploration is here to stay. Oil development is here to stay. I think the big issue with folks who are uh, are outdoor-oriented and recreation-oriented, what they want to know is what can we do to recover or restore after these this development is over with? Are we going to be have all these roads? Uh, is there going to be some type of a master plan that allows us to uh, to get back to the possibility of restoring some of our grassland and our woody draw habitats and cover? And those those things haven't been answered yet, at least to my satisfaction. I don't think it's been answered yet. Uh, have there been any issues with the water, frack water? I'm not aware of any, except that I do know from my past experience at working with oil companies who uh, were using stripper wells in these smaller locations. We ha- used to have the sludge pits, you know, where they mm-hmm. would have overflow, and then also they would use a sludge disposal. 
those areas are really attractive to migratory birds. They're also attractive to any of the bird life that are in the area. In some cases, we'd find dead deer in them. What we did to try to work with the well companies was to take that off the landscape and put all of their sludge pits into into containers, into large basic. And and some have done a heck of a job, and I compliment them on that. It's it's reduced the uh, mm-hmm. the problem with with death. When I was a special agent, we were looking at federal violations for that for killing uh, for killing uh, migratory birds. In some cases, eagles. You know, the birds get they they. Go to get into the oil sludge pit, thinking that it's water, and then, then they get oil soaked, and they're able to crawl out on the top, and then they start to dry out and mm-hmm. flop around. Well, then birds of prey start to find that, so it's a kind of a compounding thing. Bottom line is, at this point here in the Bakken, I'm not specifically aware of anything that uh, would indicate that there are long-term water quality issues being up on the where the well, well drilling and the development is actually used. I know that there's some concern about dust. Nobody really knows how do you control the dust on a lot of those uh, all those gravel roads. Um, sometimes the cure for that, heavy water and things like that, is even worse than the, than the dust itself. So there's got to be a lot of thought process going into this. I know that when uh, Boise State had the blue field and, and mm-hmm. migratory birds were trying to land on there, that, That's right. I mean, there's... If there if there would be a large open you know kind of blue. kind of like blue uh, you know you're gonna see you're gonna see a bird issue there's yeah. no question and especially during the migrations they're looking for places to sit down and they're gonna find a lot of small waters and that's very very attractive to migratory birds so it's those are things that uh, we you know I think most of the wildlife community the wildlife management community and uh, and the sportsmen are don't they're not of, of the opinion of trying to, quote, stop and impede an, uh, oil development. The concern is where, where's the ethical responsibility to the public trust resources um, that we enjoy as a quality of life? Where is, where is that commitment? That's a, that's a question. North Dakota's oil boom protecting our hunting heritage action summit uh, is, is where we're at. Right. Uh, what do you want the uh, listeners and, and readers to walk away from today with this? Well, I, I think the the big message is, you know, irregardless of where your passion is, and I, you know, I'm a passionate fisherman and a passionate hunter, have been, come from a hunting and fishing, trapping family. Uh, there's going to be uh, folks who have much different idea in regards to whether or not me trying to figure out how we can, uh, in general, work with the oil companies might villainize them. I don't think that's the right way to go. I think the comp- the country needs energy. I think it's going to be here now. I think that's a wasted kind of an effort to villainize uh, energy companies. What I think is needed is there needs to be this grassroots understanding, the education of the people who kind of just don't want to pay any attention to it until it's gone. Then they say, what the heck happened, man? It's gone. What we need to do is try to start right now to insert this, um, I'll call it the ethical uh, portion of, of what a corporation should be doing to leave that land as good a shape as it possibly could be. For more information on Cooper or to listen to the full-length interview, visit our website, buildingthebakken.com. As long as I got beer in mind, I'll be just fine. Listening on your radio, smartphone, or computer, Building the Bakken is available online and on the ground. And I'll be wishing I'm 